EMR Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson & Johnson Vision Tier Science, and Aerie. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. Welcome everyone to the first episode of the Mod Pods COVID-19 coverage. I am Dr. Justin Bazan and I am joined by Dr. Jesslyn Quint. And we have two amazing guests today who have both been dealing with COVID-19 um, with some firsthand, unfortunately, some firsthand perspective. Um, so a little background on what we hope to accomplish with this COVID-19 Mod Pod podcast. We want to bring you guys up to date, helpful information about dealing with this crisis that we are all going through. Um, so I want to kick it off by giving a little background about myself. I am a private practitioner from Brooklyn, New York. Um, happy to be here helping out with this podcast. I know we have tons of people on the line who are, are, are very interested in hearing the firsthand experience from these two awesome docs that we have. Um, we have uh, Dr. Frank Juan out of New York, and we also have Dr. Anonymous out of uh, Anonymousville, USA. So before we get started, though, I just want to break the ice a little bit. And I noticed, uh, Jessalyn, you have some beautiful pictures on your wall back there. And one of the things that I thought about doing this little icebreaker is if you could be anywhere in the world right now, other than stuck at home, where would you travel to? Uh, I think I would be in Iceland. It's by far my favorite country. I've been several times. I love it any season. It's great. So that is where I would be. <laughs> I think there's a lot of docs out there that would like to be in Iceland right about now, too. Um, all right. Next up on the line, we have Dr. Frank Juan. How you doing, my friend? Hi, Justin. How are you? I'm doing all right. And I want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate you being on here. Um, I know that there's probably a lot of docs who are going through the same experience, but not a lot of docs are, uh, are as open and willing to share as you are, so you're very much valued and appreciated. And if you could be anywhere other than your, your cooped up house there in, in uh, New York, where would you be? I got to be honest, I'd actually rather be seeing patients. I really enjoy work and I enjoy what I do. I enjoy it so much that, I mean, not that I wouldn't want to be on vacation. Vacation is a great place to be, although <laughs> outside of work, let's say Turks and Caicos, because I really enjoy Turks and Caicos. Turks and Caicos sounds lovely right about now. Maybe on the beach with a special beverage. Who knows? Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. And uh, next up on the line, we have Dr. Anonymous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to help tell your story and shed some light on the COVID-19. Um, what's going on in, in, in your world, Doc? Well, been stuck at home for two weeks. Uh, just got out of quarantine a couple days ago and pretty much been watching a lot of Netflix and Amazon Prime. Sounds like what most of us are doing, but we appreciate <laughs> you uh, being here and we appreciate you uh, making sure that you're, you're following all those guidelines. Um, so, Jesslyn, I want to turn it over to you. I think we've got some great things to talk about. Um, why don't you kick it off? Yeah. So to start off, we just kind of want to go back to the basics. So both of you guys have tested positive for COVID-19. So um, tell us what, you know, what symptoms you first had. Did you think it was COVID-19? Just tell us a little bit about what led to your uh, positive diagnosis. Dr. One, let's start with you. Well, last Sunday, um, it really kind of hit me like a sack of bricks pretty much within the first couple of hours of the day. Uh, up until that point, I had literally zero symptoms. Uh, I started with a mild cough in the morning and then I thought to myself, I'd probably want to put on a mask. I had some left over from work, so I put them on. Uh, and 
uh, very quickly, I uh, started to get a fever within probably the first few hours of the day, followed by shortness of breath over the next couple of days. Now, my symptoms were generally pretty fast moving, but also pretty quick to uh, resolve. That only lasted for a total of about five or six days. Uh, and for me, um, at that time, uh, I was concerned about people that I had seen, uh, patients that I was uh, seeing prior to my diagnosis. And um, again, so I, I, was, uh, I started feeling symptoms on Sunday, but I had stopped seeing patients the day before. So I had been seeing patients up until um, that, last, uh, that last moment um, just before that. So I was concerned about that. So I decided to contact my uh, physicians. Uh, and from there, we decided it might not be a bad idea to get tested. So she gave me the information for the New York COVID hotline. So I called them told them that I was a practitioner and uh, I needed to get a test as soon as possible and uh, took them about four days to get back to me. So this was around Monday where I had called them because again, my symptoms were moving very quickly at this point. I kind of knew at this point it was uh, probably something like COVID, but I wanted to be certain, especially again, for the people that I already seen and of course my family as well. Um, so I got tested at approximately day five, which ironically was also the day I started feeling substantially better and then got my test results within 24 hours. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. I feel like most people have had delays of four to five days before they've been able to get the results. So a 24 hour turnaround time is, is pretty good. Dr. Anonymous, what about you? What were some of your initial symptoms? Yeah, my symptoms were always mild. I actually never had a fever all during the time, which was, you know, probably about a week. But I started <clears throat> with symptoms of bronchitis, which I, I routinely get. Um, and I, I really didn't think anything of it. And then um, it, it was like a Thursday. And then like as the weekend went on, um, I did start to feel fatigued. And, um, you know, I started, I guess, getting concerned with you know, the potential of having it, even though I wasn't that sick. Um, <clears throat> but I contacted my doctor and um, went in. And um, based on my profession and the fact that I work with elderly, um, she advised that I get tested. So I went into a facility around here, which there was not a lot of them at the time. They, they were, most of the hospitals were not set up to test for it. Um, and I probably waited for like three and a half hours filled with a room with, filled with sick people, coughing, hacking everywhere. I mean, it was really a very uncomfortable surrounding. Um, so I waited for about three and a half hours and then uh, I got my results the next day um, and uh, got a phone call and from there I went on to um, quarantine. So my, my symptoms were really never anything more than, like I said, some fatigue, I had one unusual symptom that I, I, I can't put my finger on where um, I had like this extreme hot flash where I had severe intestinal pain. Uh, I started sweating profusely um, and then I had diarrhea and then I was healthy then. And I never had anything like that in my life. Um, but I've been pretty fortunate compared to others. Yeah. Did either of you experience the loss of smell or a loss of taste? No, never. Ironically, I did not either. Although it's something that I'm hearing for virtually everybody else, I'm worried <laughs> about getting positive um, test results. So for me, not getting it, I, I consider myself very fortunate. Uh, again, in general, I mean, I was 
pretty mild overall, although definitely uh, kind of uh, was a very hit and run kind of experience for me. Did either of you guys have pink eye? No. I had um, regular watering um, irritation. Um, I will say that hypochlorous acid was very helpful. Um, but uh, I, I definitely had watering of the eyes. So I'm, I'm curious, now that we've kind of heard a little bit about the symptoms that you guys are experiencing, and it sounds, sounds horrible, even if it was, you know, mild to, to moderate, um, do you guys have a potential source or a vector of, of where you might have picked this up from? Um, I think, Frank, we can start with you because I think you kind of have an idea of, of uh, patient zero in your world. Oh, yeah. Um, so the reason that I, I kind of know this is that I have multiple timelines for this um, kind of infection. I've been tracking for multiple people. Uh, on Tuesday, I had seen a patient who had come to me from the emergency room. And although it wasn't exactly how bad as it is now, but at that time, even the emergency rooms then, um, I guess the best way to, for me to put it is, as a nurse friend of mine says, don't go to the emergency room because if you go there without COVID, you will leave there with COVID. And he was one of them. He unfortunately was a, um, he was a victim of blunt trauma. He was hit over the head with a bottle and um, he pretty much got beat up. So I was dealing with his blunt trauma. I was helping him with his eye uh, we spent time together in my exam lane. I was gloved. I was masked. I was wearing a surgical mask and gloves, disinfected everything. Although I was not wearing eye protection, um, I would recommend eye protection. <laughs> uh, the uh, patient is the most likely source because uh, he, uh, he worked for uh, one of the transit authorities here in New York, and he needed paperwork filled out. So at the time, he did not seem ill, not at all. However, very quickly after, about a day after, he called back to the office, coughing and making all sorts of sick noises on the phone, and he needed more forms filled out because he needed more time off of work. The following day, he called again, sounding apparently sicker and sicker, and we we're pretty sure that he's one of the primary sources. Now, the timeline for him was about uh, five days from me seeing him to uh, feeling symptoms myself. And then um, approximately five days after I started feeling symptoms, my wife started feeling symptoms. So she actually um, continues the chain for the, likely, uh, the likelihood of, uh, of him being the first person that I came into contact with who actually did have the, who did have a uh, coronavirus. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Dr. Anonymous, how about yourself? Any, any insights as to where you may have contracted it? Uh, you know, not a clue. Um, so I backtrack to, I work in a facility where I see elderly and I inquired about any cases, heard none. Um, I, when I found out, spent two, uh, went through my schedule and personally called every single patient I've seen in the last two weeks to notify them of my diagnosis. None of them reported any symptoms to me. Um, so I, you know, I have my, both my, both my staff members are sick. One of them was tested negative, but has the definite symptoms. So I believe she was a false negative. And then my other staff member said that she had some symptoms early on, which I don't know if it came from one of them, but I mean, realistically, I had no clue. Thank you for sharing that. 
Uh, Melissa from Facebook Live um, wanted to ask uh, the question during you guys' recovery period, um, did you feel like you made any remedies or diet modifications to improve um, your recovery time? No, just I was pretty much given room service by my wife and, um, you know, lucky to have my wife caring for me and, uh, you know, I took what was given to me. 100% agree. My wife was a real champion during this time. Um, I have three children, so she also took care of them entirely at home, completely without me. Uh, so she was an absolute champion for me. She, uh, she did cook all my meals and left them at my door. I would leave my bedroom only to go to the bathroom and back, and I pretty much otherwise stayed there for uh, a solid week without even leaving the room. Um, but for me, the only remedies that actually worked for me was Tylenol. I used Tylenol only because there was a question about ibuprofen. But I mean, as far as I understand, the jury's still out on that. But uh, Tylenol was one of the best things for me. Uh, drinking a lot. I was drinking a lot and going to the bathroom a lot as a consequence. But outside of that, I mean, I didn't take anything extra. I had a grapefruit every morning for breakfast, I guess if that matters, because um, I wanted to get some extra vitamin C. But Outside of that, I, I didn't I didn't take anything um, uh, really uh, really outstanding. A little bit of elderberry. Took some elderberry. I mean, I think the one thing I I, I tried to be mindful of is what I was eating because I'm lying in bed not being active and I didn't want to gain too much weight. So one of the things that comes to mind is is that if we are seeing uh, urgent and emergent cases and offices are open. Um, what are your thoughts on asymptomatic spread and what are some of the ways that you would recommend protecting ourselves with PPE um, and office procedures for infectious control? Well, unfortunately, um, my case here is direct contact with the patient that's likely my, my vector. So definitely, I think um, masking is very good. Uh, and I think it's a really important thing for practitioners to be doing. And again, we spend time in the room with our patients, um, generally to a larger degree than many other professions will. So um, I think 100% gloves, 100% use of mask. I really think that we need to include eye protection and splash protection on the eyes. We should all have splash guards on our slit lamps. I think that's a very big thing as well. Um, but also, you know, certainly, and here's the kicker because, you know, when I really look back at it, I think about the potential and what was really the, the way that I got the infection if, if I was still wearing PPE. And the only big gaping holes was I wasn't wearing eye protection and um, I had to take off my mask at some point. So when you take off your mask, um, take care of it with the straps or the strings. Don't hold the front. And for the love of God, don't touch your face. <laughs> so, and make sure that you're changing out your gloves. And now that we're all using EMRs a lot more, definitely disinfect your keyboards and your mice with every patient. Yeah, solid, solid, solid advice. Dr. Anonymous, do you have any uh, insight on that? You know, I, I don't think I could word it any better, but I, I will say that a part of me says that no matter all the... Um, you know, you know, anything that you do to try and prevent it. Um, I mean, it's pretty hard. I mean, you keep on hearing about the emergency room doctors and the nurses who are taking more, um, you know, you know, they're, they're being more careful than us and they're still getting it. So, you know, it, it's, in some ways it might be unavoidable unless you just stop doing urgent care or emergency care. So, um, 
you know, I, 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 you know, I think I, I read something this morning with the CDC. They said um, even for patients who are symptomatic, um, 48 hours before they show up, they're, they're spreading the virus. I mean, they're very contagious. So it's, I, I mean, it, and part of me is kind of sees how you can't avoid it. Yeah. For both of you guys who have tested positive for COVID-19, um, what have you experienced from the OD community? Have you experienced support from colleagues? Have you experienced any stigma? Um, give us a little bit of, of what's been going on in that aspect. I only told a few people who were very supportive of me. Um, and I, I don't think that the people who I told made me feel uncomfortable or feel ashamed. Um, so I, I mean, I think in general for my, my knit group, uh, you know, it, it, it was fine. I actually did post up on one of the more popular optometry forums on Facebook, and I did actually uh, get a very kind of mixed response. A lot of people were like, oh, congratulations, you know, the very kind of congratulatory posts, or hey, I'm glad you're feeling better, that type of thing, which is nice. And I would say by and large, that was really the response, but there's definitely a couple of uh, naysayers out there, people who are people who are like, oh yeah, you know, you're only past the first round, you're going to get it again and things like that. Or, hey, you know, there's reinfection and there's really some kind of mis mis uh, misinterpretation of information out there, maybe some misinformation out there entirely. But um, really, uh, you know, overall, I would say at least supportive, but there's definitely, there's definitely some naysayers out there. Yeah, I think it's important too. You know, we have a doctor anonymous um, for a reason because there has been a little bit of that stigma that's out there in the community, maybe not among colleagues, but maybe just in like your own small town um, where your practice is located. And so sometimes um, as a business owner, especially in a smaller community, if you are, you know, one of the first locations to test COVID positive, and then you have to, you know, let people know that that can create a stigma around your business, which could potentially impact things down the road. So with that in mind, what would you tell colleagues um, of how to handle that aspect or offer any words of support? For those who are going through this or what, what, how I handled it in my own office? I think both. So you um, have had great experience with this firsthand experience. So um, what did you do? Would you have done anything differently? What advice um, would you give? Because we haven't hit the COVID peak yet. So there's probably a lot more ODs likely that will be tested positive. And so it's helpful to have somebody who's kind of been through that um, to kind of showcase what they learned, what they did so that they can follow suit or change things accordingly. You know, the way I looked at it was, um, you, can, you know, for me, it was a very uncomfortable situation having to call all my patients for two weeks, but it was a courtesy that you, you had to do because they were going to be around their, their families, their grandparents. You know, if you didn't let them know to take precautions, they, they could be endangering their loved ones. And, and it wasn't even a thought. Um, and I mean, it's something that I, I couldn't, you know, morally or ethically keep a secret. Um, so, you know, and then the other thing is, you know, part of the stigma that I, I felt in my community was my, my, my child, engages in, in activities around the town. And we were with a bunch of families and other, uh, you know, in an activity in, a, in an enclosed area. 
and I had to notify them that I tested positive and they sent out an anonymous email. They didn't reveal who I was, but I, I did see some of the responses back from some of the other parents about it that, you know, were not positive. It was more like finger pointing who was walking around with this virus infecting people when, you know, I didn't knowingly try and get anybody sick because I really didn't feel that sick. My experience was a little bit different um, because for us, uh, I'm, and I would share that I'm in the New York area in the greater New York City area. So, and I'm very close to some of the biggest seating areas and uh, most concentrated areas of COVID in the entire country right now. So for me, it was, um, this was, this had alarm bells going up very early for both me and my family. My family and I were uh, taking protective measures for ourselves very early on. Uh, I was pretty much, um, we were pretty much quarantining our family already. We were already social distancing extremely early. Uh, and this, uh, this even goes back as far as uh, three weeks prior to when I was actually infected myself. So at least we were able to minimize our potential spread. I mean, we didn't even go to church for like two to three weeks um, up until that point. So we were, we were kind of avoiding things. Our kids didn't go to martial arts, things like that. Uh, but we were, uh, we were definitely very kind of conscious of that. Um, telling my staff, telling my patients was, again, as I definitely agree with Dr. Anonymous, it was a very, very um, professionally courteous thing and a moral obligation. I think that we really had to do that. So we did as well uh, tell my patients the last two weeks. Good news is uh, that other people in our area were much like me and already starting to socially distance. So my practice, I only probably saw at most about uh, two dozen people. Like it wasn't a huge amount of people uh, up until this point. So, um, but uh, probably the most negative response I got actually, unfortunately, was from one of my staff members because she had a very sick father and uh, she, she responded pretty negatively and her family responded pretty negatively to it. But outside of that, um, generally speaking, most people were grateful, but cautious. Frank, you mentioned earlier that you, you love seeing patients and that's your ultimate priority is to get back into patient care. Um, have you taken any steps to implement uh, telemedicine into your practice? Telemedicine in my practice? Not yet. Although it's something that I've already done for a couple of friends of mine who are in situations here. In particular, I had one friend whose child got a really bad case of, of course, what all parents think their child has is pink eye. Odd, unfortunately, it was legitimate pink eye. It was actually, uh, the, the, the kid actually likely had an adenovirus infection. So um, I took care of that. It was a EKC type infection. We took care of that with um, some meds and took care of the calls and I monitored them every single day. But telemedicine in practice every day, not yet. But it's definitely something that's really piqued my interest. In fact, so much so that I already talked to a couple of attorney friends of mine to see exactly what I need to do to get set up for it. Um, I think that it's definitely going to end up being a, a part of the practice that we're going to start implementing uh, to a degree. I mean, you know, I can't refract somebody over, uh, over a phone. I can't do those types of things, but medical type visits, uh, questions types of uh, allergies or, you know, red eye type of things can actually be addressed to some degree. Uh, I always recommend an in-person visit, which of course right now is just not possible. So we may have to kind of um, 
take what we can get to some degree at this point, but uh, it's definitely something I want to do. And I'm 100% on board with it so long as it's of the correct type of services. That makes sense. That's something we all have to evaluate as well. Um, Dr. Anonymous, any plans for telemed implementation? You know, I, I, I took the, I, I listened to the AOA webinar and um, I saw some of it. Um, you know, I, I really haven't gotten that many phone calls and to be frank, uh, the reimbursement for it, I, I'm not sure it's worth it other than just fielding a phone call for somebody to listen to their symptoms. So I'm not dismissive of it, but I, I guess based on how fr infrequently I see it and the reimbursement, I, I, I don't know at this point if I can take it seriously. Uh, I'm not going to not do it, but I just, you know, one or two patients every couple of weeks, I, you know, for a minimal amount of money, I, I don't know if I need to deal with that. You know, speaking from personal experience, everything you said was, was 100% uh, with my experience. Um, maybe I'm seeing one to two every day or so. Um, and you're right, the reimbursement is not going to pay the bills. But I think as a service that we can provide to patients and help try to keep those patients out of the emergency rooms or the hospitals that they may end up in if there's no care being provided, um, I think it's something that uh, we, we all should take a look at. Um, Jessalyn, um, what are you doing in your office as far as uh, how you're handling seeing patients? Yeah, so we've adopted a very uh, similar approach. So we're only doing emergencies only. We do offer telehealth, um, which is fairly easy to do, easier um, than I think initially we were all kind of anticipating. Um, we don't really get that many, you know, eye emergencies, kind of like you, one to three a day potentially. Um, but it is nice to be able to offer that. And especially because um, this past week when I was on call, I had a couple patients that had a known exposure to COVID-19 that had a red-eye type of issue. So I was really thankful to have that telehealth option to still serve my patients, but to not kind of risk that exposure to myself or my um, staff that was in a, at the office. So um, I think there's more to come. You know, telehealth hasn't really been totally implemented into our optometric industry. And we'll have to see how um, things unfold down the road. That's an excellent tie into my next my next thought. Actually, hopefully, I know and I know this is going to hit different areas at different times. Um, but we all eventually have to get back to see patients. Um, are there, are there going to be any extra precautions that you're going to take in your office um, that you haven't taken before this outbreak um, that you would like to share with the rest of the optometric community? I think everybody understandably is going to be incredibly sensitive about the first time you see somebody coming in coughing and sniffing, which, you know, it's pretty common occurrence with somebody bringing a kid in, um, you know, everybody's going to be on pins and needles. And, you know, and, and if you have other patients coming in after them, they're going to be very sensitive. So, I mean, you have to be very aware of spreading patients out, um, the hygiene, you know, wearing gloves, which... I frankly would never think of it now, but I'm pretty much going to wear gloves going forward, even after this blows by. Um, you know, uh, just being mindful of the distances, having a, a slit lamp a shield, a, a breath shield for a slit lamp, um, being mindful of like how my staff conducts themselves with like paperwork and dealing with like, uh, you know, I, signing iPads and you know, signing receipts and, you know, anything that can be touched regularly, cleaning off frames, 
um, you know, being mindful that when patients make appointments that, um, you know, they not bring in family members or, or as far as themselves being sick, um, you know, being mindful of the number of people in the office. It's definitely also going to be the case for me as well in our practices. Uh, although we've always been very conscious about um, infection control in the office, I think definitely going forward, um, and I agree, I'm probably going to be gloving. I'm probably going to mask from here on out. Uh, we just we just bought, I think, 500 masks for the office <laughs> for, uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, I am strongly now considering even wearing eye protection going forward as well. Uh, and it's not just for uh, just this, it's for other infections as well, even just the annual flu, which of course I have gotten. Um, so certainly something to consider, you know, anything to cut down on additional infections. Um, disinfecting the office on, uh, regularly is something that we all do, but I would definitely say disinfecting my keyboards and my mice is something I'm going to have to do more. Uh, almost to the point of virtually every single patient that I see. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, going forward, this is, I mean, we know, and this, this changes everything. Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, your thoughts. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share to the optometric community um, before we wrap up today's um, session? Um, you know, I would probably say, you know, and maybe this is not just to the optometric community, that, you know, when people start asking, you know, how'd you get it? Did you know you had symptoms before? Um, I would be mindful of who you're pointing a finger at um, because uh, most, of, most people who get it don't have heavy symptoms. And like, that's not anything that the average person is going to not go to work for or be around other people. Um, so until you've gone through it, I would be very careful about, you know, what you say, because you haven't walked through somebody else's shoes. And unfortunately, what's going on, that it's going to peak in the next couple weeks, people are going to start to learn. Don't, yeah, don't, don't shame somebody that. into, don't shame somebody into getting this. What's a positive thing, uh, each of you, um, that's helped get you through this time? Um, I would probably say, say that, um, it, it's realizing what's important in life, the health of your family, um, you know, that, you know, the basics are, are what's most important. I mean, I think it's been a valuable um, lesson for my children that, you know, maybe the things that we routinely get, we're not giving them anymore because we're on an extreme budget. You know, I, I tell, we tell our kids, my wife and I, we're paying for rent for our mortgage and we're paying for food. That's it. Don't ask us for anything else. Um, so I think it's just, being appreciative of what we have um, that, you know, like I said, I, I'm very fortunate that I'm one of the people that got through this with relatively little symptoms of they have people who are young and healthy that are dying from it. Um, so, you know, it's just being more appreciative of what you have and people that are in your life. I would definitely echo that as well. Um, I've, I've never seen more people be more appreciative of the people in their life. Um, definitely your family and everything, uh, but he's already spoken to that. But unfortunately here in New York, I've seen a lot of people already lose loved ones. I've seen people lose their parents or their grandparents. Uh, I've seen uh, hate crimes that are being talked about. Um, I've seen all sorts of changes that are out there right now. And, you know, definitely being 
uh, being conscious of uh, the fragility of our lives, uh, of how quickly everything falls apart. I think if there's any single lesson that we can take from this is that it only takes just one correct trigger to just make everything fall apart. And we're seeing that right now. And, you know, just appreciate. You know, I want to, I want to express my deep gratitude and appreciation for both of you being on this broadcast today. I think it's a testament to the optometric family and the optometric community, how strong we are and how united we are when we come together. And bottom line is, is this is a, a shitty situation, but we will get through it together. And thank you guys so much for being on the broadcast today. Um, I want to remind everybody out there that if you are following the Modern Optometry Facebook page, we will be doing these live broadcasts a couple times a week featuring um, uh, COVID-19 stories ranging from docs who have tested positive and shared their experience such as we have today to um, help with what to do with uh, your employees, filing for PPP and uh, everything in between. So thank you guys for uh, being on the, the broadcast today. Thank you guys for listening. Um, uh, Jesslyn, uh, thank you for co-hosting such a <laughs> tremendous first podcast for us. Um, and I want to leave you guys wishing you staying safe, staying home, and saving lives. Bryn Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson & Johnson Vision Tier Science, and ARI. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. This webcast podcast is intended solely for ophthalmic healthcare professionals and ophthalmic industry representatives. By accessing this webcast podcast, I acknowledge that Bryn Mawr Communications LLC here in BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information presented in this webcast podcast. BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any of the opinions or information presented or mentioned. BMC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, in this webcast podcast.